This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Reese Carter, welcome to Better Reading. Cheryl, thank you for having me. How exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. It's exciting for me too because um, we chat with children's authors but not as many as adult authors, so I always, always enjoy it. Reese grew up on a family farm in Western Australia before travelling the world and working as a nutritionist in Melbourne. A lifelong lover of reading and writing, he took up writing middle grade fiction and now writes full-time in Sydney. We're talking about his debut book. It's called A Girl Called Corpse, which I love the title. Uh, It's an exciting fantasy read about a lonely ghost who searches for answers about her past in a magical coastal town. Uh, Seriously cute book and so lovely and full of themes in a storytelling kind of way. Thank you. Yeah, that was actually um, what kind of interested me most about writing. I think right from the beginning was those, were those themes, you know, and you understood this was very much a book that was character first. The character of Corpse came about first. And although it's set again, although it is a, you know, a rollicking fantasy adventure, it was those themes of friendship and and love um, that really kind of shone through and interested me from the beginning and kind of, you know, it is a book about Corpse is a ghost, you know, she's a lonely ghost and she's, you know, she's mourning the loss of not just her life and her name and her family, but also a friendship that she had, on this side of death since being a ghost. And so it is a book about kind of, you know, those darker things like loneliness and, and, and mourning and grief. But more than that, I think it's about its remedies. It's about connection and belonging and family and friendship. And I knew that right from the beginning. And that was what really interested me about, about Corpse and her story. Mm. I don't read many children's books anymore because we've got a fabulous person in the office, Natalie, who does. But I'm often, and maybe I forget, or I'm often surprised at how complex the themes are in kids' books. You're nodding. It's true. Yes, I think, well, it was, I mean, I think it was, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was Philip Pullman who said something along the lines of some themes and some topics, some subjects are too big to be adequately dealt with in an adult book. They need a kid's book. They need mm. to be written about in a children's book because I think it is it is easy to forget that kids' books are more than just entertainment. I mean, they have to be that as well. You have to keep the kids turning pages and interested. But the themes that they deal with can be the really big stuff. You can deal with, you know, life and death and good and evil and friendship and love and all these really big human things in hopeful ways. I think that's the key difference as well with kids' books is you deal with these really big topics but in bold and hopeful ways, and that's what I, you know, continue to love about kids' books. Yeah. um, We talked earlier before we hit record about dogs, uh, your dog and my dog, and my dog's called John Brown and all our readers know that. But that space, I got his name from a book called John Brown Rose and the Midnight Cat, and that I don't, you've got to, if you haven't read it, it. it's just a very simple little picture book. But 
it is full of gigantic themes about death and grieving and loneliness. And maybe it's four sentences, five sentences. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, what's, and, it, called? what's it called? In? John Brown and... John Brown Rose and the Midnight Cat by Jenny Wagner. Yeah, it's it's been around for a long time. She's actually Australian, even though I think it was published in the US first. And I think it was published back in 1964. So it's quite old. It's my age, actually. But this is what kids' books do. On a Monday, and and most people know this, I've got this wonderful niece called Rebecca, and when her kids were babies, I agreed to look after them on a Monday. Well, now one's 14 and the other one's nine, right? Yeah. The 14-year-old doesn't come around anymore. He's above that. Um, cool. He's <laughs> yeah, that's right, but the nine-year-old does. And, again, that's my little window into what kids are thinking, what kids are reading, whatever. And I always, we go for a walk, we take the dog for a walk, and we always end up on a park bench looking up and looking at trees and sky and whatever. And he asked me the other day, what did I think about death? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Nine. Yeah. They do, did, don't they? You know, it's easy to kind of it's easy to kind of think that those topics are to shy away from those topics and those conversations with kids, but they're already wondering it. They're already thinking it themselves. Um, and I don't think we kind of do kids any favors by, by dodging those conversations or dodging those topics because they're curious and they, and they want to, they want to talk about it and they want to read about it as well. Mm, mm. Well, do you know, I was nervous. It really, you know, it got me like, Oh gosh, I don't know how to answer that. And he said, well, I think death is dark and it's black and you can't see anything. And I was like, wow, wow, you know. And uh, I said, I don't know if I think that. He said, is there any light in what you see? I thought, what an extraordinary question. That is an amazing amazing question and such a boldness in in having the conversation with you as well. And, you know, I know that, yeah, I think if I was in your shoes, I would have probably been a little bit taken aback as well. And there is that instinct to want to kind of protect kids. Oh, no, death is not that bleak. There is, you know, it's mm. not that dark. It's not that scary when really we don't know, you know. Yeah. And I think that's probably yeah. part of the reason it's scary to have that conversation with kids is, A, you want to protect them from all that darkness, but, B, you don't really have a great answer for them because none of us know. Oh, yeah, and you don't want to lie to them or anything. And I no. said to him, yeah, that's just not how I see it. But, you know, uh, you know, it's a very valid feeling. So I want to go back to you and growing up and growing up in Western Australia and growing up on a farm because it's unusual. Well, you know, I'm not stereotyping here, but usually boys, well, males don't talk about their love of reading at a young age because, you know, data will show us that that mainly, you know, that boys can be reluctant readers until a certain age. You weren't. No. Well, I suppose partly that was because, there were limited things to do on the farm. And, you know, I had, I love my brother and sister very much, but apart from them and the dogs, eventually very quickly I ran out of people to do things with. And so I would find other friends in books. Um, mm. I actually remember, so the town I grew up in, or the, the farm I grew up on, the nearest town, Tamman is tiny, a couple of hundred people. And the, the entire primary school, I went to the local uh, public school there, the primary school there. And I think from grades pre-primary to grade seven, we had maybe 50 kids in the whole school. And the tiniest little library, and I remember a relief teacher, Mrs. Hocking, she was wonderful. I remember the moment she 
took me to the library and said, I think you're going to like this. Um, and I'm not sure what made her think that I would was a re- I would be a reader or, you know, might potentially that, but I'm not sure what triggered it. I can't remember. But she walked me to the library and she handed me a copy of The Magician's Nephew by C.S. Lewis and said, I think you're going to love this. And I did. Um, it's a real shame that I don't think the library had any of the other Narnia books there. So I couldn't continue <laughs> to read them. Um, but yeah, that was what began my love of reading and being on the farm, you know, I like many other farm kids, I loved riding on the motorbikes, playing with the dogs, all that kind of stuff. But reading was just another one of those things I picked up. Um, and, you know, back then it was the Paul Jennings books and the Roald Dahl books. But it all. opens up your world, doesn't it? Completely. It opens up your world. When I was on the farm, it opened up my world. And then when I went away to boarding school at 11, it it actually kind of offered me a, a safe place. Books offered me a safe place because I didn't really fit in at the boarding school at all. It was a very kind of boys club atmosphere and I was and you were 11 and you were away from your parents yeah did you get really homesick I did get really homesick but at the same time I'll be honest with you things weren't going great between my parents at that stage either and so actually home had begun to feel like a less safe place as well so I was kind of stuck between two places that didn't really feel that safe to be honest Mm. and again so books kind of were not just comfort, but they were safety and they were friends. You know, I made these friends with these characters and went on wild adventures with them. They're solace. And, and, and as I said, books for kids that age always have to be hopeful. So when my real world felt a little bit scary, there was, you know, books were where I went to books where I kind of felt safe again. Um, And, you know, you know, not to kind of harp on about it, but at the, I'm, I'm gay. And, you know, I kind of was coming to terms with, uh, my queerness and my sexuality or starting to recognize that there might be something different about me around that age of 11, 12. And so again, you know, just in an all boys boarding school, especially back then, you know, what, 20 years ago, it wasn't the most welcoming place. So to find stories about kind of, you know, about underdogs and acceptance and all that kind of stuff that was so vital for me back then. And it just made me love stories even more. Um, and it's incidentally also when I loved writing stories as well as when I learned I could um, create my own characters and my own worlds and that I could escape into. A lot of people, a lot of writers talk to me about, oh, well, they could never imagine that they were going to be a writer because, one, they'd never met a writer or if they had met a writer, they were in awe of that writer. So what was it What was it for you? Where, at what point did you think, well, actually, I might want to be a novelist? Well, that's a really good question because I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It's not presented to us as a realistic option, being an no. author or being a writer. Um, what well, careers advisor it, says, oh, yes, that's right, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> Pursue a career in the arts. It's yeah. stable. It's yeah. certain. You'll get paid a lot of money. Yeah, you'll get paid bucket loads. Uh, yeah. So job security for life. No, yeah. absolutely not. So it's never really presented <laughs> to you as an option, as a career. Um, but it was, and I pr- probably wouldn't have ever thought of it had it not been for a fantastic English teacher. And I think this might be a story that a lot of uh, writers do tell you as well. You know, you have that kind of Miss Honey-esque teacher who's kind of really supportive and nurturing. And so he was my year eight and nine English teacher. His name was Mr. Webb. Wonderful, a little bit eccentric, which I, I like that in a person. Um, and I'm not sure how it came about again, but I must we must have done a, a creative writing task in class or something that he read and he said, I think you're quite good at this and I can see you enjoy it. And so he used to let me, if we weren't doing anything vital in class, he would just send me to the library for an hour and I could write 
free oh, time. Wow. Just like, what a gift. What a, such a gift. Um, and he never asked to see what I wrote. He never put any pressure on it. It was never oh, obsessed. Wow. It was just, this is your free time. Go and write. Show it to me if you want to. Don't show it if you don't. But that early kind of vote of confidence I've carried with me until now. And I think that's what made me real. You know, it's taken me 20 years to actually get to this point where I'm publishing my my debut. But, um, it, you know, I actually haven't forgotten that mm. that support and that encouragement from Mr. Webb way back then. And I've kind of carried it with me like this talisman this whole time um, that made me think, even while I had another career, that, yes, there was still a possibility that I, that I can still be a writer. That is still something I can do. Um, mm. And I might have given up a long, long time ago had I not kind of carried that with me. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to know, was there anybody else in the library writing or was it no, just you? Just me. It was just me and the the um just me and the two wonderful librarians, Mrs. Gannon and Mrs. Horn, who ended up uh kind of I had I think I had more teacher and staff friends at the school than I did um friends in my own year. But then they would they they would let me write and they would, you know, leave me undisturbed or if I wanted a book recommendation, they'd help out. And all of these teachers and all of the, the librarians I've since been in contact with, like I've I've written, as you mentioned, I've, I had a career as a nutritionist and I actually wrote two nonfiction books as part of um, that career. And I remember I went back to Perth to, as part of the book tour to do a demonstration, a cooking demonstration, a healthy cooking demonstration, and who should walk in but uh, Mrs. Mm. Gannon and Mrs. Horn, which is just so lovely. Kind of such Isn't a, that just such beautiful life. support? Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, and since, you know, since A Girl Called Corpse has come out, I've, I've tracked down Mr. Webb as well and we're now in touch and sending oh, wow. emails again and I thanked him and I sent him a copy of the book over and I got some very ed- English teacher feedback back yeah. from that. <laughs> I love that story. Um, and, and also too, we won't go into detail about this, but the power of teachers. Oh, you know, yeah. that the importance of teachers, the value of teachers, you know, honestly, just under, well, next to the arts, probably unrecognised and undervalued. and They do such a great job and especially, you know, they probably don't, I imagine being a teacher, you don't actually, you never, you don't often get a chance to see what a good job you're doing in that quite often, you know, the impact you're having on a student as a teacher 
wouldn't necessarily be verbalized. And so that's kind of why, you know, I did want to track down Mr. Webb and say thank you because there was probably, mm. I probably didn't say it back then, you know what oh, I mean? I probably, well, you wouldn't have known to, you know, known, you would, yeah. because those kinds of impacts that these um, moments have, uh, it's a long-term thing, as you know, yeah. you know, that, you know, here you are now with your first fiction book. Okay, so then did you stay at boarding school right up till high school? I stayed all the way until year 12, at which point I have have an older sister um, and she had graduated. She's two years older than me. So she had finished high school and was now at uni. So she was living in a, a, like in a little house nearby. So I actually moved out in the house that my mum owned. So um, I moved out in year 12 because I just was done with boarding school and moved in with my sister for the final year. And then you kind of, were you still writing? I mean, what was it that made you become a nutritionist rather than to pursue the career of writing? I mean, was it, you know, you didn't see the value in it at that point or you didn't think that it was something you could do, as we said earlier? I don't, you know what, I actually don't think I I didn't, I wasn't really considering what I would do as a career at all at that point. By year 12, I kind of, I was ready just to leave, uh, yeah. get away, you know, kind of have my own life and get away from, you know, I love I love my family and I, and I love my home, but I think I was just ready to spread my wings and kind mm-hmm. of be an independent, be an independent mm-hmm. person. And so when I finished high school, I actually went to Romania for six months. I did like a volunteer program. Oh, wow. Yeah. Staying with a family in Bucharest um, and kind of helping out at the local school with English with English teaching. I mean, I was what, 17 or 18, so I can't have been much use, but that yeah. was kind of the program was that I was essentially like a teacher's assistant who could give language, you know. Um, well, just uh, speaking, speaking. Yes. Yeah. It was that kind of thing. And then on the weekends, you know, there were seven Australians on this program and we'd go out travelling to Transylvania on weekends and it was so much fun. And so that kind of turned into several gap, several years of gap year. I ended up living in London for two years, this, that, and the other. And I wasn't thinking about my future at all. I wasn't thinking about any career, to be honest, not writing, not nutrition, nothing. And so it was only after, I suppose, gosh, at least, at least three or four years of traveling around without much consideration of quote unquote, the future. I thought about, okay, well, now it's probably time to think about what I want to do next. And during that time, I just developed an interest in nutrition and health. So I pursued that. I'm not sure what made me choose it over writing. I, was, I, pro- I wasn't really doing any writing at that point. And so I went and enrolled in, in uni and, that's, and did a science degree instead. And it was in Melbourne. And so I moved to Melbourne and, and was studying there. But it was while I was doing this degree that I did start writing again. So I... A friend of mine and I, who he was a copywriter, but also wanted to write fiction, we would get together once a week and just write stories. And so between the ages of 25 and oh, 31, maybe 31 or 32, 32, probably I wrote three full length manuscripts, um, mm-hmm. none of which sold or went anywhere. Uh, and then a girl it's called, called practice. Yes, exactly. You've got to yeah. you chalk up your 10,000 hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. I then, mean, it's like playing the piano. It's yeah. practice. Yeah. And you know, I say that to people as well, because I think that there is this myth with writing as well, that you either can do it or you can't, or you're talented Completely. or you're not, which is absolute rubbish. Mm-hmm. Writing is everyone I think has stories to tell. Everyone I think has talent in that in them but it's actually a discipline learning to write learning to craft story shape story is is a discipline and is a a learnable set of skills um Mm -hmm. and part of that a lot of that is 
practice. A huge amount of it is practice. I also think you can go away and do writing courses have been an invaluable part of my journey. Like actually learning the theory behind, you know, your three act structure and characterization and plotting and tension and all of those sharpening those tools and having those tools in your tool belt then allows you to shape your imagination into kind of um, interesting story. Uh, well, it brings that story I can, because I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm not a writer. I've never written. I've spoken to over 400 writers, but I do have an imagination and I do love, like I'll see a scene in the park with the dogs and I'll kind of make that up to be something else. But that's to then put that to paper, that would be a craft I'd have to learn. Yes. And I often say that to people. And it's interesting how you said to me, you and your friend did it, like that practising of having, being in a group and, you know, I know lots of people in writing groups that write and then, you know, deliver a week later and read out loud and all of those things are part of the learning process of writing. Absolutely. And having a few kind of trusted writing buddies is really important because it can, you know, it is something that's, Sharing a story that you've written can be a very vulnerable mm-hmm. thing. It makes you feel very vulnerable. And so to have, you know, more a number of friends doing that with you, it creates a safe space to, you know, explore and um, experiment and share openly, which you wouldn't get otherwise. You, if, you, if you were just writing and reading your own stories and critiquing your own stories, there's only so far you're going to get. You need to have that, you know, other people's mm-hmm. input. And if you're all doing it, if you're all writing stories and sharing stories and being vulnerable together, it makes it a much, it's a, you know, it's a much better experience than, you know, nagging friends and family, oh, would you read this, please? Mm-hmm. Um Oh, absolutely. I think that that's really important. Um, Okay. So we, I want to get to writing um, A Girl Called Corpse. So you said that you'd written a couple of novels before and they didn't go anywhere. I'm always curious about this. When do you know it's the one? Yes. When do you know it's the one? Um, (laughs) I think, I mean, you hope everyone's going to be the one, that's for sure. But this book did feel different. That's the only kind of answer I can give in that those other three manuscripts each took two years to write. Obviously, I hoped they would be the one, but they weren't. Each one would be the one, but they weren't. But this one did feel different. This one only took six months. And I think it's because I knew right from the beginning what it was. I kind of felt in this story, I felt in my gut from the moment Mm. I started writing it. And as I kind of said earlier, this was a character first book. Like I imagined this character of corpse and I knew she was this kid ghost made of wax with seaweed for hair and abalone shells for eyes. But more important than her physical appearance, I knew what she wanted and that's so important. And I knew that she, you know, was wanted to, she didn't want to be a ghost. She wanted to still be part of the living world and she wanted to find her family and find a place to belong. She wanted a name again. And also she was feeling this deep seated kind of pain over having lost a friend. As I said, there's another ghost that she was friends with who they were haunting this shack together. And that friend disappeared a year before the book starts. So I knew that about her. And I, so I knew what the story would be, if that makes sense. I hadn't necessarily plotted it out yet, but I knew that that was the core, that was Corpse's driver. She wanted this connection. She wanted to find her family, find her name. And so what I had to write was a story about does or does she not get that? And it was a story that I kind of felt in my gut. And I think that that propelled me forward and that just made it, 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 it felt like it would work. I can't really describe it better than that. From the moment I sat down and started writing, 
it felt like it would work. Uh, whether it would sell or not is a whole other thing. But uh, I was very, I was excited about this story in a way that I probably hadn't been excited about the other stories, which in hindsight, maybe I was writing to trend a little bit more with those. And I was writing just for the purpose of want of selling a novel. Whereas this mm. one, I really, really wanted to tell this story. And how did you sell it? How did I sell it? So I, so I wrote it within about six months, as I said, which was fastest I'd ever written anything. And, but I, and I was like, okay, well now the next step is to send it out to agents. And I have a really good friend, Tobias Madden, who writes YA. And so I'd seen his journey and we'd spoken about what, how he got where he got. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to send it out to agents. And it took two rather large glasses of wine to get the <laughs> nerve to do this. I'm going to be honest with you. I had to have yeah. a couple of glasses of wine and I had a short list of the agents that I wanted to approach because they were all the people that, whose names I had read in the acknowledgement sections of the middle grade books that I, recent middle grade books that I love the most. Uh, and there was one in particular who, like, that was my dream agent. She was my dream agent. Uh, her name is Gemma. And so I sent it out and then went, sent it out to these half a dozen agents, went to bed, woke up the next morning and thought, oh God, what have I done? The book was not ready. The manuscript was so <laughs> not ready to send to agents. Reese, what have you done? What have you done? Then I called Tobias and I said, oh no, I've sent, I've, I've submitted corpse to agents. He said, it's okay. There are other agents. And I said, no, I submitted it to Gemma. And he's like, oh, but miraculously, she wrote back and um, and offered to, well, she wanted to read the rest of the manuscript first and then she offered to sign me, which was just such a pinch me moment. I, you know, that was just so exciting. And then from there, it all happened really quickly. So we sat down and together we did a round of edits. So Gemma's a very editorial agent. We worked on the manuscript um, and then she sent it out to publishers and the interest was the complete opposite to what I had experienced so far. There was a lot of interest both here and in the UK, especially here in Australia. And the book went to auction. So, you know, I'm not sure if listeners know what what that what that's like. Some probably do know what a what an auction for a book how that rolls out. But I'll explain it anyway. So basically, it's a, this 48 hours of very exciting emails. So I'd taken I'd taken Zoom meetings with each of the interested publishers just to get to know them, talk about the book, talk about talk about what we would like to do with the book. And then the auction began, and it's over 48 hours, and my agents just basically forwarding me the offers. Um, and it's, you know, just each one is more dizzying and kind of exciting than the last. And then after 48 hours, it's all over and you've got your highest bidders and your, your book is sold. So it's sold here in Australia. It's sold in the UK. And then very shortly after it's sold in Italy, Spain and Norway as well. So, it was, yeah. yeah. And we all know how hard that is for a first yeah. book. So it's a huge achievement. Reese Carter, congratulations. Uh, and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. 
Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere, everywhere. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.